to be the very end of the Gospel of Matthew this morning. If you uh, have a Bible with you, you can open it up and turn there. We'll get to it in a few minutes. If you didn't bring a Bible today, there's one in the pew in front of you, and we will be on page 886 in that Bible. Um, We are going to start a new series this morning, a short series before we get back into the Gospel of Matthew, which we're going through section by section. I think we're in chapter 8, but we won't get back to that till the middle of February. Um, What we're going to start today is a short series on the mission and core values of Revelation Church. And if you've visited with us before, if you've been here for a long time, if you come through the front door, there's a big flyer that says what the mission of the church is. And up here, these are our core values. And the reason we're going to do this um, is that as the people of God, as the covenant community of faith, and that, that's, a, that's a phrase that we're going to use a lot as we move forward, the covenant community, we're going to see what that means. What we tend to do is we tend to drift. We get really busy. And if you've been a part of a church for any amount of time, you know that there's a lot to do. There's a lot of jobs that need to get done. There's a lot of administration that needs to happen. Sunday's over, and the next Sunday comes right after that. And you kind of get into the cycle of just doing church. And we don't want to be that way because that's not what the New Testament says the church is. That's not what the New Testament says the people of God are like. And so having a mission and having some core values and bringing them, reminding ourselves of them, help us to keep the most important things the most important things throughout the year. Um, this is... Um, This has been a year so far for Revelation Church. Some of you were in my living room the first Sunday of January last year when we began gathering on Sunday evenings. Uh, And this is what we talked about. We talked about what is the mission of the church? Why, Why do we gather? What do we do? What is the point of us existing? And so we're gonna make a habit of taking a look at these ideas at the beginning of every year and reminding ourselves of why we exist. And so today we're going to talk about the mission. Uh, and we have a mission statement. The mission statement of Revelation Church is, says that Revelation Church exists as a family of Jesus followers seeking to know him and make him known to the people of North Idaho and the nations through Jesus-made relationships, Jesus-focused discipleship, and Jesus-empowered service. And you might be thinking, like, why, why do we have a mission statement? That sounds super businessy. And it is something that the business world does a lot. Maybe you work for a company where you went through, like, an HR orientation your first day, and you watched a video about the mission, and there's a poster on the wall. But that was the last you heard of it. Nobody really engages with the mission. Nobody really knows what the mission is. And that's unfortunate, because reminding yourself of your mission is at answering the question, why do I exist? That's what a mission statement is supposed to tell you. And some people are super um, uh, geeky about mission statements, and they'll have like a personal mission statement and a family mission statement and an organizational mission statement. Um, I'm not that into mission statements to, to do that. My wife, I think, would love us to have a family mission statement, and I push against that because I, I just want to f- freeform our family and just do whatever we want. <laughs> But I do think it's valuable to have a mission statement for the church. But here's the thing. The church doesn't have the freedom to just make up a mission. The church can't gather and say, like, well, we're going to exist to serve the homeless. 
or we're going to exist to breed horses or whatever random thing we want to do. Because Jesus already gave us our mission. The responsibility we have as a local body of believers is to contextualize Jesus's mission to the place that we live. And what that means is, no, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are as the church, we all have one mission given to us by Jesus. But that's going to look a little different underground in China than it is in an urban context in London, than it is in a suburban context in Southern California, than it is in a small town in North Idaho. And so, as a local body, as an expression of Jesus' people in Coeur d'Alene, it's our responsibility by the power of the Holy Spirit to go, okay, why are we here? Why did God put Revelation Church here? And what are we supposed to be doing? And so, this was the question that I was asking and praying through more than a year ago when we developed our mission statement. And I want to go through a few things in the mission, and then we're going to get into Jesus' mission for us and how they kind of correlate. But the first thing about our mission statement is it says that Revelation Church exists as a family. And this is really important. We are the children of God. We are adopted into the family of God. The, the New Testament is clear that the work of Christ his sacrifice, his death, his bloodshed on the cross opens the door for us to be, um, Paul says, grafted into the family of God. We weren't born into the family of God, but we are adopted into the family of God. My youngest daughter, Nora, is adopted. She wasn't born into our family, but we picked her out and we brought her in and we love her because she is our daughter. And that's what we are as children of God. And so we need to remember that as a church, we are family. We're not a business, we're not a nonprofit, we're not an event or a club, we're a family. And, and this changes the way we think about things because when, when, something, um, when something goes wrong, like there's feedback in the PA or the projector breaks or something, if we're, if we're a polished organizational event, that's terrible, that's a big deal. But if we're family, that's okay, we're family. The only reason we have all this equipment up there is so that everybody can hear okay. And we could probably do without it, honestly, if I just talked a little louder. But being a family puts a intimacy and a closeness among the relationships that we have, and it helps us to remember that we're not putting on a show. When we gather on Sundays, this isn't a show. When we gather in our homes, we're not, we don't have to like do the once a year cleaning for people to come over. That's exhausting if people come over every week. You just live your life and there's dirty dishes in the sink and that's okay because we're family. The second thing that I wanna point out about our mission is that we, uh, we are a family of Jesus followers seeking to know him and make him known. And again, this is, a, this is an important both and because the church fights a lot about this. Our, is the, does the church exist for us, those, the Christians that are gathering in this room? Or does the church exist for those people, the people that are not yet Christians, the people outside? And, and some people would say, absolutely the people outside. And then other people would say, no, absolutely the people inside. And, and I think the Bible says the answer is both. We gather on Sunday mornings. We gather throughout the week. We build relationships with one another to grow in the grace of Christ, 
to become mature followers of Jesus. And this is who we are as Christians, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But we also let that growth, let that grace, let that love of God that we are experiencing overflow into the community. And that's something that really shapes, again, our our large gatherings. If we are committed exclusively to those people that are outside, we are going to make decisions exclusively for their benefit. If we're exclusively committed to the people in the room, we're going to make decisions for our benefit. But if we're aware that we're here for us and we are here for everyone else, we can keep both of those values in mind. The mission then goes on to say that we are called to make him known to the people of North Idaho and the nations. We say North Idaho, this is a mission that not every church has because not every church is in North Idaho. We have been planted here. This is where we live. If you live here, you may think you moved here because of a job or because you wanted to be closer to family or because you just like to ski and this is the most beautiful place in the country. But that's not true. God put you here. Acts 17 says very clearly that the places that we live are the result of God's sovereign providence in our lives, and He puts us where we are. And so we have to ask the question as a church, why are we here? And we are, one reason is we are here for the people of North Idaho. But that, that spills out. The idea of the overwhelming love of God can't be kept in one place. And so that brings us to see, well, what's over in Washington and what's in Southern Idaho and what's throughout the country? And are there people around the world that need to hear of the grace and the love and the beauty of Jesus? And so we, we do exactly what Jesus tells his disciples to do in the book of Acts, which is to start in our hometown and then go a little farther out and a little farther out and a little farther out until everyone all around the world knows about Jesus. And so then the the mission says, the way we're going to do this is through Jesus-made relationships, Jesus-focused discipleship, and Jesus-empowered service. And this is where we're going to get to Matthew. We could, we could spend a whole lot of time in the, what's called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, but we're just going to look at a couple things. So Jesus has risen from the dead. This is, this is a miracle. This has been um, prophesied. God's people have written this down hundreds of years before that this is going to happen, but nobody seems to recognize that that's the case, and it's a surprise to Jesus' followers. They've spent... Um, specifically Saturday after Jesus was murdered, grieving that they followed the wrong guy, they picked the wrong team. But then Sunday morning, something crazy happens. The tomb is empty. The women find an empty tomb and they report to the men, Jesus isn't there and nobody really knows what to do. Then Jesus begins appearing to his disciples and teaching them. He spends about 40 days teaching his disciples. Then he says, okay, I'm going to go. I want you to meet me on a mountain in Galilee. And so in verse 16, Matthew writes, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee and to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
So this first thing that Jesus says, we're gonna talk about relationships. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is asking us to keep our eyes open here. The idea of this word go, it's not, um, a lot of times uh, missionaries tend to use it as a, as a reason to like leave the country and go to China, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you feel called to do that, that's awesome. But to go, it, the way it's worded in the Greek means just as you are going, as you're going about your life, when you go, do these things. So Jesus is saying, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, be aware of what's going on around you because this is your priority. Make disciples. The word disciple means a learner or a student. Uh, we might use the word apprentice. If you're, a, if you're in the trades, an apprentice, if you wanna be a plumber, you become an apprentice to a plumber and you learn from that plumber. I was watching this old house the other day because I am an old man. And uh, Tommy, if you're familiar with the show, was on the roof with a couple young people. And he was uh, making, he was shingling a roof with cedar shingles. And he was showing these young people, these apprentices on the show, this is how you shingle the roof. And this is where you put it. And this is how you measure. And this is how you draw a chalk line. And this is how you use the nail gun. And he did a few, and then he said, okay, now you guys do it. And then they had the responsibility to finish shingling the roof. And that's what an apprentice does, is they learn from their teacher, and then they do what their teacher says. And so a disciple is the same thing, uh, an, an apprentice, a follower. The overarching word for this is a Christian. We are called to be followers of Jesus. We can't, we can't divorce that from the word Christian. We can't say, well, I'm a Christian, but I never do what Jesus tells me to do. I never learn from Jesus. I don't really care about Jesus, but I'm a Christian. That's what I put on my census form. It doesn't work that way. In order to be a Christian, you have to be a disciple. You can't be a Christian without being a disciple. And so Jesus says, make disciples. Well, how do we do that? Well, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is important because baptism is a rite of initiation. Uh, in the first century, baptism wouldn't have been a surprise. If you know the story of John the Baptist in the wilderness, he was bringing the Jewish people to the Jordan and he was baptizing them to re for repentance. This wouldn't have been weird to the Jewish people because if you were a non-Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, one of the things they would do to mark your initiation into the community was baptize you. And it was a symbol of new life, of, of, of being dead to the way things were and alive to the new things. And so Jesus just picks up on this and says, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be the symbol of my and your entrance into the covenant community. Covenant community is a word that, that we use to describe who we are as a church. It's a word that our, um, the network of churches that we belong to uses to describe itself. A covenant community is, is, is something that you're not born into. Nobody's born into the church. I just, you know, I was born and now I'm a Christian. That's not how it works. Nobody's forced into this community. 
You don't have to be here. This kind of community is something that you willingly enter, you willingly submit to, you reap the benefits of the community when you join it, and you gain the responsibilities that you have to be a part of the community. You work, the community works for your good, and you work for the good of the community. And baptism, baptism is something that happens at the beginning of that. We've, we've shied away from that. If you read the book of Acts, people were baptized pretty much immediately when they came to faith in Christ. Like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple. Well, you should be baptized. It is the symbol of your entrance into the community of our people. But we've decided, well, we should watch you for a while. We'll just give you a couple years to figure out if you're really a Christian, make you take a class, and then we'll see. And I'm just not sure that's what the Bible says we should be doing. But baptism should be the, one of the very first things that happens in, a, in the life of a new believer. And it's a, it's a public affirmation. You can't be baptized by yourself. You can't just go home today and turn on the shower and go, I'm baptized. That's not how it works. It's a public display of your commitment to follow Christ in front of God's people. And it's, it's your saying, I want to follow Jesus, and it's the response of the community that says, we see that you have made a commitment to follow Christ, and we are here to help you along the way. But then Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we get baptized under the name of something. We get baptized um, as um, people under a banner. And what is that banner? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think that's important because God is shown to be throughout the Bible something called a trinity. And if you, if you know what a trinity is, if you've, if you've heard what the Trinity is, it's, it's kind of confusing. God is one being and three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit of God is God. And we, we think about that and it's like, I don't really understand what that means because we don't have any other form of reference. There is no other being that we know of that we can go, God is like this because God is not like anything. But one thing that's important about understanding that God is a trinity is that God is not lonely. It's kind of popular to think that like God was just living his life before the world was created and he just, he was bored and he was lonely and he's like, man, I should make some people to be my friends. But that's not, that's not what we read in scripture. God is not lonely. God is in an eternal community in and of himself. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in this eternal relationship of love with one another. And the outpouring of that love is what we call creation. But God is a community. And so for us to be baptized in the name of this community gives us a hint as to how important community and relationship is to God. And so we want to be people that are making, are knowing Christ and making him known through Jesus-made relationships. So what do we mean by that? As we, we gather on Sunday mornings, 
We, after the service, we'll go have some coffee and chat. We get together in communities throughout the week. If you're not a part of a community, there are sign-up sheets in the coffee shop, and I would encourage you to be a part of one. We get together um, just casually, but we don't do this because we're all the same age or all the same gender or have the same politics or have the same ethnic or family background. We do this, we gather because we have the same God, because we're part of the same family, because we are united by Jesus. And this should be something that is a priority for us. It's really easy to hang out with people that are like you. Like I have a lot of friends that are just like me. They have the same interests. They're in the same life stage. They, you know, they get all the same jokes, like all the same movies, and we hang out, and it's fun, and it's easy. But hanging out with people that aren't like you, hanging out with people that are younger than you or older than you or from a different economic background or with different views about how the government should work, heaven forbid, that's hard. That takes work. But this is, what, this is one of the foundational principles of the church. If you think back to Jesus and his disciples, there were two guys. One of them, his name was Matthew. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government that was oppressing the people of God. And there was this other guy. His name was Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a group of people that actually went around killing Roman conspirators because they hated the Romans so much. And Jesus is all like, I want Matthew and I want Simon and we're going to be on the same team. Do you think they shared the same politics? Nope. You think maybe Matthew was looking over his shoulder for a while at Simon thinking, don't stab me. Maybe. And they never, ever would have been friends if it weren't for Jesus. And this is the one of the major calls of Paul in his letters about the church. He writes to all these churches, and they're all struggling churches. And he says, God has broken down the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles and people outside the, the covenant community and inside the covenant community. And he's made a new people out of that, that that shouldn't get along, but they do. And so we want to be people that are involved in Jesus-made relationships. We want to care for one another, learn from one another, put up with each other, and even begin to trust one another. Because that's, that's what Jesus has done for us. So then what does Jesus say next? He says, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. So teaching them. We want to be about Jesus-focused discipleship. So a disciple means a learner. A learner doesn't know things. And if you're like, yeah, I don't know things, that's great. That's where everybody starts, and that's where everybody is at some point. None of us in this room know everything. We're all learning. We're all growing. But learners have to be taught. This is one of the things that the church does is we teach and this is not exclusively my job. If you're a Christian, it's your job. It's all of our jobs. 
If you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, you know something about following Jesus. And you can share what you know with other people. How do we teach? We, we teach like this, where somebody comes up and, and, and talks from the Bible. The children are taught in probably much more fun ways in the other room. We have communities, like I said, we meet on weeknights, we have dinner, we, we study a little, we talk, we teach in those environments. And, and a lot of times it's, you, you think like you go to a, a, a home group of some kind and there's a, there's a leader and they teach, and that's probably true, but what I have found is that everybody in that room has something valuable to contribute because they've been walking with Jesus and they have experiences with God that I need to know. I can learn from that. We teach in cohorts. We have a men's cohort that meets on Monday mornings at 6 o'clock. And we go through a book, and we, and we talk, and we, we spend time pouring into one another. We also, we also teach when we're just hanging out. Single people, go to somebody's house that has kids, and you will learn what it's like to be a Christian with kids. And those of you that are smiling right now are like, crap, I have to teach these people how to raise children, and I am not doing a good job. <laughs> Older people, you have an opportunity to just live your life in front of younger people and show them what it means to have longevity in your walk with Christ. Just by being together, we teach. Another way we teach is, is we sing. So, some people, like, hate singing at church. They come in late and they leave early, and, and that's fine. But Jesus commands us to sing. Paul says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And, and one of the things that singing does is it, it teaches us. The, the important thing is, like, we're singing the words of Scripture. We are singing rich doctrinal truth. And those things, as we sing them to one another, those things stick in our brains and they leave with us. And typically, the songs are the things that you remember from week to week, and the sermons just kind of fade away, which is fine. But it's important. We don't just, I, I've, I've been doing music for many years, and people come to me frequently over the years and, and have said, like, I heard this song on the radio, and it's awesome, and we should sing it in church. And I always say, okay, I'll listen to it. And I always do. And, and sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're just dumb. Like, sometimes, like, yeah, it sounds really good, but the words are really foolish. And so I just, I'm not going to sing that on Sunday, because I want to teach us. I want us to teach each other, and the words that we sing are doing that. So what does it mean to have Jesus-focused discipleship? Our, everything that we teach should, at some point, get back to Jesus. If it's not, it doesn't always have to start at Jesus, but it needs to get back to Jesus because Jesus is the center of our faith. Jesus is the center of our life. And I, I can think of so many Bible studies and and. and, and Messages that are just like, you know, I just remember one about like some ancient civilization that had a city on Mars before Adam and like 
That was a Bible study that I listened to once, and, but it didn't have anything to do with Jesus, and I'm not really sure it was that valuable. So we want to be people that focus our teaching ultimately on Jesus. So what else does Jesus say? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So we are not being disciples if all we are is taught. Teaching, we just said teaching is important, but if we're not observing the things that he has commanded us, if we are not doing, we are not following. When I um, applied for seminary, the very first thing they did was they made me take a Bible knowledge exam. And um, I was in Awana when I was a little kid, and so we just memorized verses all day long. And, and then I went, I got my bachelor's degree from a Bible college, and so there was a lot of Bible there. And I took this exam, and it was like 300 questions. And I got, I got, I got like a really, really good score, and I got to like skip some classes because I got such a good score. And I thought, wow, that's really awesome. But that doesn't make me a Christian. That has nothing to do with me being a Christian. Like, I really like going to, like, pub night trivia with a bunch of people that aren't Christians, and then the category is the Bible. I feel like I'm just going to smoke them. But that doesn't make me a Christian. That has nothing to do with whether I have a living relationship with Jesus. And I... And we see this frequently, especially around Christmas and Easter. The, the news shows will, will interview people that have PhDs and have spent their lives studying the New Testament, and they will get up and say, well, Jesus probably wasn't real, which is absurd. These people think they know so much about the Bible, and many of them do know much more than any of us, but it doesn't make them a Christian. And so if all we're doing is studying and learning and getting really good at taking tests about the Bible, we haven't arrived yet. James says, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so Jesus says, you need to teach them, but you need to teach them to observe everything that I have commanded them. And so as a church, I think it's our responsibility to provide opportunities to work out our own salvation, like we're told. We should have opportunities to serve those in need. We should have opportunities to pray for one another. We should have opportunities to build one another up and, and give ourselves away. If we aren't, if all we're doing is talking about it and then fending for ourselves, I think we're missing the point of our existence, which is to equip one another for the work of the ministry. And so we want to be about Jesus-empowered service. What does this mean? The, the truth is we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. If you're a Christian, if you've been... Um, born again, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, if you've repented from your sins and said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, you've, 
been given the Spirit of Christ inside you. And so we should be people that are doing supernatural things. These are the kind of things that Jesus did, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do them. And we should be people that expect prayers to get answered. We should be people that expect people to be healed. We should expect people to be freed from addiction. We should expect marriages to be saved. We should expect relationships that were broken to be mended. And we should be praying for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us in amazing ways to work in our midst. So we exist as a family of Jesus followers seeking to know him and make him known to the people of North Idaho and the nations through Jesus-made relationships, Jesus-focused discipleship, and Jesus-empowered service. And so this is the, the thing that we're going to keep coming back to. It's the thing when we, have, when we have decisions to make. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Should we buy this? Should we not buy this? Should we engage in this ministry? Should we not do this? Should we do this outreach? We get to run it through this filter of like, does this meet our mission? So as we wrap up, I have a couple other thoughts from this passage in Matthew because I, I feel like if, if you, may, maybe there's something that I've said that's, that's kind of made you uncomfortable. Maybe you're like, yeah, I don't really like hanging around with people that aren't like me. I'd just rather hang out with my friends. Or maybe I don't know anything. I can't possibly teach anyone about Jesus. Or like you said some scary things about the Holy Spirit and healing people, and I just think that's weird. That's fine. In verse 17, Matthew says that when the disciples saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And doubted isn't really the best word here. It's not that they saw Jesus and they were like, I don't really think that's Jesus. It's more like they hesitated. It's the same word that gets used in the story of Peter walking on the water. Peter steps out on the water and he's supernaturally walking on it, but then he looks around at the waves and he goes like, I don't think I should be doing this. And he starts sinking. It wasn't that he was disbelieving the reality of what was happening. He was hesitating in his confidence in the Lord. And it's the same word. And, and so at least one of the 11 men that is responsible for uh, blowing up Christianity throughout the Roman Empire at this point in time is like, I don't know if we should be doing this. It's freaking me out a little bit. I don't know what this is going to be like. I'm a... I'm a little bit scared. And I get a lot of comfort out of that because most of the time I'm a little scared too. Like the things that Jesus says we should be doing, the lives that we should be living that are just radically different than the world around us, it's a little scary. Like one thing, like I'm, I'm not a very good evangelist. Like I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person. I, I don't like awkward conversations. And so like having that like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus conversation at work is really hard for me. I know some of you are not like that at all. I, I had 
uh, a friend be like, hey, we should go street witnessing downtown. I'm like, I'm out, not doing that. Scares me to death. But some doubted. See, that's the thing, like, there's something about following Jesus that is scary because it's different, that it's new. It's not what we're used to, but it's good and it's better and it's right. And we are empowered by the spirit of Jesus inside us to do it. How do I know this? Well, because as soon as we read that some doubted, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus says all authority. How much authority is that? It's all authority. Which places in heaven is Jesus not in charge? There are no places. Which places on earth is Jesus not in charge? There are no places. So whatever it is that makes us hesitate, whatever it is that makes us doubt, whatever is that's scary, Jesus is in charge of that. He says, all authority has been given to me. I am the king of everything, and you are my people, and this is your job. And so Jesus immediately overcomes the hesitation, the doubt, with not, you can do it, but I'm in charge. And so we can be sure that when we step into something that's out of our comfort zone or a little bit scary or maybe not what we're used to, Jesus has got this because Jesus is in charge. And then he gives this great commission that we, that we base our mission statement off of. And then at the end, in verse 20, he says, and remember, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus. Like when I was watching this old house, Tommy did the first couple courses at Shingles for the apprentices. And then he left to go do something else. And they were up on the roof. There were two of them. They were like, I think this is what he said. Does it go like this? I don't remember. Let's try it. They got it done. But see, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't give us the instructions and then leave. Jesus says, I am with you always. I'm never going to leave you. He gave us his spirit to live inside of us. And so when we, when we face these questions of, can I actually love God and love other people? Yes. Can I walk in holiness and overcome patterns of sin? Yes. Can I be a light in my community? The answer is yes, because we've been given the supernatural power of God to do it with us. 
And Jesus says this is something that we're supposed to remember. He also said in, that we're supposed to take communion to remember. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Take this, this bread that symbolizes my body that's going to be broken on the cross for you. And take this cup that is my blood, the blood of what he says, the new covenant, the new covenant community. God's people is going to be different now. And this is the symbol of it, my blood shed for you. And every time you do this, remember me. And, and there's definitely this, this idea of remembering the work on the cross for our sins. He died in our place. And communion definitely represents that. But it also represents his life inside of us. We eat the communion and drink the communion, and that's not an accident. It's because it's nourishment, and it represents nourishment to our souls because we need the continual work of Jesus Christ inside of us, empowering us to make disciples. And so over the next couple weeks, with the mission in mind, we're going to take a look at uh, what we call our core values. They're listed on that sign right there. And, and they're things that we, we want to make a priority in our church. But those things come secondary to the mission. And the mission is given to us by Jesus. And our job is to figure out, okay, what does the mission look like in Coeur d'Alene? What does the mission look like in Post Falls? How does the mission look like downtown? But through all of that planning and gathering and um, talking about curriculum and outreach and finances and all the things that churches have to do, Jesus says, remember, remember my body and my blood broken for you. Remember that the foundation of the life you have is my death and resurrection. And remember that I am in your midst, that I will never leave you that everything belongs to me, and this job that I have you doing, you actually can do it because I have given you the power to do it. And so we're gonna, we're gonna sing a little bit more to teach one another some truth about the gospel. The communion table is gonna be open. If you are a Christian this morning, you are welcome to participate. If you are not a Christian, um, the way I like to explain this is taking communion is like the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, it's the Pledge of Allegiance to the Kingdom of God. And if you don't owe your allegiance to the Kingdom of God, it's kind of dangerous to pretend. So I would ask if you're not a Christian, just don't come up and take any communion. But if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow God, if you want to say, you know what, the way I've lived my life isn't working, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. You can do that by just saying, Jesus, I want you. And then you can take communion with us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for a chance to worship together, for a chance to study your word, to be reminded of who you are, what you've done for us, 
what you ask us to do. God, you don't, you don't just show us the ropes and then leave us to our own devices to figure it out. You empower us to do the work that you've asked us to do. God, help us to remember the mission that we are on. When we go to the grocery store, when we have dinner with our family, when we go to work, when we gather together, help us to be aware of what you're doing, of how you're shaping us, how you're asking us to invest in the lives of others. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to be an example to us and to be a sacrifice in our place for our sins. Thank you for the new life that we have in you because Jesus is risen from the dead. And God, for all of us that are doubting, that are hesitating, they're like, I don't know if I can do this. But fill us with your spirit. Give us strength. Give us passion and energy to be about your business. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.